Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is your Faves Faves. Laird Hamilton. I was watching a documentary recently, and it was the first time that I understood that there are, and please correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but there are, for lack of a better word, famous waves in different parts of the world. Is that yes. correct? And, and that the different waves, depending on where you are in the world, are sort of good for different things. Like if you want to surf a barrel versus if you want to do aerials, is that accurate? information or am I, did I hear no, that no, wrong? No, I mean, there's, there's some, uh, there's some accuracy to that. Yes. <laughs> so is there in, in the history of what you do, is there, do you have favorite waves that you've surfed? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, I grew up in Hawaii, of course. And so, uh, and the, and the, and the, and the wave that, that had the most influence on me as a child was a wave called Bonsai Pipeline, which is on the North Shore Mm -hmm. of Oahu, which is at the time when I was growing up was considered the most dangerous wave in the world. Um, And also this kind of, it was where all the great surfers from all over the world came to kind of test their skills. Since that time, there's a wave in Tahiti called Tehupo that has taken Mm -hmm. over from Pipeline and, uh, and that breaks on a barrier reef, and it's a it's a a left, which you know waves break in different directions. So a right is a wave that if you're right-handed, you would face you would face the wave and go to your left. And a left is a wave that that uh, you would face and and your and you would go to the right with your you know you'd face it with your left hand. But so uh, those two you know those two waves, and then of course there's a wave that. Uh, that we kind of made famous called Jaws that was at the time. That yeah, I've heard so of. That, and that's yes. probably one of the, you know, we've ridden some of the largest waves ever surfed there and, and kind of changed the way surfing is um, after surfing that wave for a long time. Uh, and then, and then there's been some other waves in the world that have come out because of that, because we developed uh, a, a technique for catching the waves with using jet skis. Well, first we first we mm-hmm. use zodiacs like Navy Seal uh, zodiacs, and we would tow each other onto these waves and catch them because you couldn't really physically catch them. And uh, and then that technique kind of opened up some other places uh, that that wouldn't have been surf without it. And then and then so then you have Cortez Banks, uh, which is um, about 125 miles uh, west of Los Angeles, out in the middle of the ocean. And there's another wave uh, now in Portugal called Nazare, which is the wave getting a lot of attention because they somebody took it upon themselves to 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 think that the front of the height of the wave was in the most important reading, and so now we're getting people trying to break the world record and and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But you know, for me, the ocean. Uh, I mean, not only is it where all life came from, and 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 without it, we wouldn't even be exist on Earth. The amount of diversity of ocean life is far exceeds anything on land, and it's the power of the ocean. You know, it's been carving the earth for. I mean, water. You can cut a diamond with water. So, you know, kind of has a few things a little deeper than just riding a wave. But, but you know, wave riding is a relationship with the ocean. So that's how I developed my my initial relationship with the ocean was, you know, being in Hawaii, surrounded by ocean, and then and then being and then having the fortunate. 
uh, opportunity to be raised at a place that was at the time and still to this day is one of the premier waves in the world to for a surfer to kind of test their skills and and uh, you know make make their mark as I would say. Where on Oahu did you grow up? Um, I, well, I lived in the North Shore, where where Pipeline is. Oh, you did yeah. live there okay, when I was wow. real when I was a little when I was real young, and then and then I would uh, come back to it throughout the years as I as I grew up. I moved I moved to another outer island when I was a little older, um, actually not that yeah. much older, but but I would come back and surf surf Oahu because that was the you know that's the they call it the seven seven mile miracle, which is just has a bunch of really famous. You know, they have Waimea Bay where they have the Eddie Aikau and they have Sunset Beach and Pipeline. And there's just a, you know, a bunch of really great breaks for for surfers. But now I try to avoid most of those places just because there's. I'm sure. I'm sure. I can't imagine. I, you know, I'm curious because I know that you, you truly invented that technique of, of catching those bigger waves by taking out the jet ski and, and, and towing out to them. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, well, that's a, it was a technique that a, a group of us developed. There was, a, I had a couple friends and we were, we had been windsurfing in really giant waves and, and understood that, you know, we could get on giant swells, uh, with power. And so it was just, it made sense for us wanting to pursue the, the bigger surf. I mean, we just, you know, we, we, that was kind of a, it still continues to be a frontier. You know, it's, I think it's kind of a human thing. It's like, why does everybody want to go to space? It's because it's a frontier. I think we have, it's, it's, right. it's, a, it's kind of a, something in our DNA. It's like in our, in our psyche to pursue the unknown or pursue the, you know, push the boundaries. And this is probably the dumbest question ever, but are you afraid when you're facing a wave that big? Do you have any Absolutely, fear? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, Okay, you feel fair. You just move forward. Me, anyway. I mean, I get nauseous when I even think it could be big somewhere else in the world, and I'm going to go there. So, um, God. Yeah, yeah, no, I think. I, I, listen, I'm I'm under the belief that fear is a sign of intelligence. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of you know, you, if you're scared, uh, means you're probably you know, and and there's something to be scared about. I mean, there's fear. An object, right. you know, to, to have fear and be fearful is something that's been instrumental in our survival. So, you know, if you didn't know things were dangerous, you would have got eaten. That's something that, you know, that we've had built into us uh, from the beginning or, or evolved into us out of, out of necessity just to survive. I mean, I think it's, that's, so th- that's a, a pivotal piece of, of the instrument. You know, it's just what you do with that. I think that separates a lot of people with you know how you respond in in the in the in the in the moment of of being scared or having fear. And you know, I, I, so I think that everybody operates differently. I think, but I think it's it's for anyone to say that they're not scared. I, that I, that scares me. <laughs> Carla Hall, my ex-mother-in-law, you know, cooking her whole life. And the very first time I went to her house and like was trying to help her in the kitchen, I'm, I'm hacking into the tomatoes. And I was like, Pat, Patty, do you, let me get you a knife. Can I just get you a knife? And, and her eyes bulging out of her head at how expensive a good knife. And I'm like, no, this will change your life. You don't even understand what is about to happen here when you've got the right tool. Yes. Yes. So when uh, that going to someone's house and I'm like, these knives are terrible and, and people are working so hard. Oh my gosh. And right. 
if they are cutting on a glass cutting board. Oh, <gasps> that also that that stresses me out. Who does? Why do out. those even exist? Why? That is not a why? cutting board. That is just a glass plate. It's a piece of glass. It is a piece of glass. Right. <laughs> Good. Yes. Good point. Yeah. That's not even on my list, but I'm like, that would, yeah, that's a, that, I mean, also that's a fun list is like the top kitchen mistakes. people Or the make. top kitchen do nots, don't, the, the, yes. the don't get list. So that's on right. my don't get list. Okay. A glass okay. cutting What's board. What's on your do get? What's on okay, your do so get? I'm going to take notes. On my do sure get. So we, we talked about a microplane. I, I just think yes. every kitchen needs a microplane. Right. It's the best $12.95 you're going to spend. <laughs> you know, and it's only $12.95, right? Uh, a peeler, a really good peeler. Because, okay. and, and I think that people, when you think about carrots, pe- peelers go up and down. Because if you're right-handed and you're only going down, then what do you do? Give it to a left-handed person so they can use the other side of the peeler to go the other the way? Other side of- right. So, so you know, up and down, up and down so that yes. you use it equally so that, you know, it, you don't have to give it to a left-handed friend. A potato ricer. So, Oh, I definitely don't have that. Oh. I know what it is, but I've never used it. How do you use it? To make mashed potatoes? Yes. To make oh, beautiful, dang. fluffy mashed potatoes, it is the only oh. way to go. And not a ricer, oh, a masher. You need, this is the season for the ricer. You okay. will, it will change your life. It will change, okay. like in terms of potatoes. What? Ah! Okay. Uh, and, and all that banana bread that people were making, you can put the bananas in there. Like, pfft, pfft, pfft. Okay. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Wait, we did forget to say this just for people who don't have a microplane. How are you using it? So, I mean, we're zesting obviously, but are there things that I'm not thinking um, of? Of course, zest, cheese, Parmesan cheese, chocolate shavings. It's like, like dusting oh, nice. chocolate. I use it for ginger. But so anything that's hard that you need to grate something over. The next thing, I'm all about tongs. I think tongs and uh, a really good silicone hard, stiff spatula. I go back and forth, but tongs are my implement of choice. So when I'm putting something in um, a pan, I tend to use tongs to turn them because they're an extension of my hand, like Edward Scissorhands. So I love turning things with tongs. I rarely use a spatula unless I have something long and delicate, but tongs are my go-to. Are tongs something that you have multiple of the same thing that you like? Yeah. So like I have three pairs of tongs in my kitchen and I've got barbecue tongs. I'm the same way. That would be the thing that I'd reach for. Yes. Yes. I mean, I have um, small, medium, and large. It's like Goldilocks of the three bears. Okay. I have okay. like all, <laughs> <laughs> all sizes. Yes. Are there other tools that you have multiple of something because you use it so much, you, you want access to all the options? Um, it would be the silicone, like a high heat spatula. I have multiples of those. I have different, different ones of those, but I'm also, I love jars. Uh, You know, my husband's like, what's up with this jar? Are you done with this? I'm like, Oh no, that's a great jar. I I mean, I can just visualize putting things in and just, well, actually I I was um, afraid that I was going to be late for your call. I'm like, Oh, I have five minutes. So I'm making this ice cream cake. Can I show you my ice cream cake? Hold on. Yes. Okay. Show it everything. Ice cream cake. 
So when I, I had five minutes and I've been working, I'm doing this for my, my stepson. So I had this ice cream cake and I had this caramel, like, right? Right. Oh, is it stuck? That looks amazing. So it's like, you've got vanilla, then cake, then chocolate ice cream. So are you going to keep layers? It's a chocolate cake, vanilla ice cream, chocolate okay. cake. And then I had this ganache because I had... And I had, oh, I didn't feel like going my. to the store to get more ice cream. So I, right. I put ganache, but I made it with sour cream. So it feels like chocolate ice cream. Yes. Um, and then I was like, wait, I have some caramel. So I was like, oh, let me put caramel on here. And then I think I'm going to top it with some toasted shaved almonds and some crumbled yes. cookies. But I'm like, yes. Tony Hawk, skateboarder, legend, icon, 40-year career, Tony Hawk, and he is sharing his top five favorite injuries, I think. I have been skating for about 43 years almost, and I wish I could say that's my whole life, but I started when I was nine years old. So the first injury and probably the most prominent and the one that affected me the, the worst or the most was uh, breaking my pelvis. And I did that in 2004. So, oh, um, this whole podcast, I'm going to be like swallowing convulsively. Okay. So, what's the scenario? How did this happen? So, I was in my late 30s already, had already had, you know, a lot of success skating. And we were shooting an episode of Wild Boys, which is, was sort of a jackass spinoff. So it was, it was um, Chris Pontius and Steve-O did a show that was more about uh, nature <laughs> and lots of stunts. And so I uh, did it because they had, a, they had an orangutan that knew how to skateboard. And they asked if, if I would be on the same episode as the orangutan. So we showed up to this ramp where they brought the orangutan. It's my friend's ramp. And he and I did a little bit of skating with the orangutan. Is Bob Bernquist, who's a, a prominent skater as well. And it was going well. And so they had us dress up in these monkey suits and do like a whole routine dressed up as monkeys to match the aesthetic of the orangutan. Obviously, right? as you do. And Bob used to have a loop ramp that was attached to his half pipe that we had done in the past, you know, a full, like complete hot wheels loop and we had done it in the past but it had been really weathered since the last time we had done it and he and i had been riding a different loop right up until that that point that was on my tour uh the boom boom so those things are important in the in the context of this because as we were skating in these orangutan suits not wearing helmets by the way because you know we had to have the we had to have the full get up sure I think it was my great idea. They said, oh, we got to do a monkey loop. Let's do the monkey loop. And so we went over to the backside of the ramp and we started trying his loop. And I should have known something was wrong when Bob fell on his first attempt of his own loop that he used to do daily, you know, with, with his eyes closed. And then I went and tried it and realized that I didn't have enough speed. So I sort of came off the wall, but I made it around. So I was, I was able to slide to safety. And for some reason that didn't deter us. We were all amped up to do it. And um, on my next attempt, 
I did the number one mistake of a loop that I should have known better because I'd been doing it for, I don't know, 10 years up to that point in my life. And basically I pumped too hard with my legs going through the, the first radius. And when you do that, you bring yourself off the wall and you have nowhere to go except for straight up and then all the way down. Like I said, it was a rookie mistake. I, I pumped through the transition, found myself flipping in the air, didn't know where I was. The next thing I know, I woke up in an ambulance. <gasps> and how, like, how many feet is that that you're falling? Uh, the, the loop itself is 14 feet. I'm tripping. I, I didn't even know that they um, made so skateboarding loops. I, the irony, the irony of the of the loop is that the safest place to fall is at 12 o'clock because your momentum will carry you around the ramp and you'll be able to stick to the wall and slide around. So I came off the wall just after three o'clock, so to speak. And that made my momentum stay, carried me upwards oh to the top gosh. and then straight down. I remember the first thing that I've felt, I maybe that's what kind of woke me up was as they were, as they were lifting me into the ambulance, I said, Oh, my, my side really hurts. And I, and, and I remember the uh, paramedic saying, Oh, we'll x-ray that. And then I uh, found out later that day that I had broken my pelvis and that I was going to be in bed for quite a while. Whoa. What is the recovery from that like? I was in bed for probably, I think, six to eight weeks. The worst part about that is not being idle. It's that your pelvis is central to everything in your body, right? In terms of your bone structure and your nerves. And so if you do anything at all that requires exertion, I mean, I'm talking about down to coughing or sneezing, your entire body freezes oh, up and, and, and it's like this shock wave goes through you. So imagine trying to get up, take a shower, go to the bathroom. All those things are just traumatic. Um, so Did you have to be in a cast? No, oh, okay. I didn't. Um, if, if you were to have, if I were to have shattered it, it, it might've been pieced back together, but, but it was just like a clean breakthrough. So it was going to heal fine. Have you seen Kevin Hart's newest comedy special on Netflix? I have not. Okay. So if you like stand up, it, this, it's worth your time. It's really well done. But in it, he talks about getting in a car accident and he broke his back, I think. Uh -huh. And he's talking about the recovery and having to use the bathroom for the first time. And it is you will, especially having gone through it, I was sobbing, crying. It's so funny. <laughs> so, so funny. Yeah, I, at the time, it just felt really painful. I'm sure. I, I couldn't find that much humor in it. But, uh, well, I think what happened was I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get back out there as soon as I could, and I jumped the gun. And so when I first started trying to walk, I had this severe limp that I was just in denial of. And uh, it took me it, it took me a good... I would say six months to feel confident on my skateboard. And then it took me about another six months to actually get my, my tricks back and, and my, my sense of confidence that I could do these things because that really rattles you. It makes you, it makes you question anything you've done for the last, you know, for me the last 30 years. June Diane Raphael. Five things, of course, I want to talk about is, is women in comedy and women who make me laugh because that's my favorite thing in the world. Nothing, nothing gives me more joy. And I do think that this time, like, we do need to seek joy out. And, and, and joy as resistance, too. And art yes. and beauty as, like, something that elevates us out of, like, the shit of life. 
I have always like, I just was never someone who gravitated toward male comedians or standups. And it's just, I intellectually like understand why they're funny and, and can like tip my hat to them. I mean, there are a few people that really, I, I love, 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 like the Steve Martins of the world, the, you know, Seth Rogen makes me laugh harder than anyone. Like there's, there's right. a couple of male comedians, Martin Short, that I'm like delighted by. But right. for the most part, my what makes me like the windows for me into my own experience, into like that full body like recognition mm-hmm. have always been women, starting with my mother, who was a very, very funny woman and made us all like laugh so hard at the dinner table and also loved comedy. Like she... <laughs> was so obsessed with the movie What About Bob that she and would laugh so hard at Bill Murray's performance that she would pee her pants. And every time we put on the movie, because we had it on a VHS tape, my dad had to put like towels underneath her. So <laughs> so there was a there was certainly in my own home a premium put on like can you make us laugh? Yeah. I love um, that. Yeah. And so my mother's like ability to storytell, ability to take you into her experience was amazing and hilarious. And her friends were hilarious to me and their wants and desires. And I just like, it's interesting heading into the world of comedy because I never thought, like I thought only women were funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like it was such a shock to realize like not everyone felt that way. Yeah. Because to me, and when I got to like UCB and there, it was of course so in New York, it was so male dominated. There's only a scattering of, of women improvisers, some of them incredible, but I was so confused because to me, women were actually innately funny. I, yeah. So so one of the things though, and I, I loved, I love Lucy growing up. So anyway, these are my top five women. And, and I, I'll back up to say the reason why I think it is important in this time is because if we, when life feels like it's on pause, I think if we don't allow ourselves to be joyful even in like, sometimes people talk about identity work, even, you know, the identity, racial identity for white people and exploring your privilege. And it's always framed as like this horrible, embarrassing, shameful process. And I am not saying that there is not that a part of it, right? I think in some ways Mm -hmm. that's like actually very necessary to go through. What I wish was talked about more was joy on the other end of that. An experience of like understanding your humanity more and feeling freer in the world. And I think there's a lot of joy at the end of this work and it's only ever talked about in such heavy ways. So I believe it's incredibly important to connect to joy and nothing is more joyful to me than laughing. And so my top five favorite women in comedy start, of course, with my mother and her stories of, of course, she wasn't a professional performer, but her stories of, I remember she told this wild story of like, she was a New York City public school teacher and had to plan one of the teacher's retirement parties. And she was responsible for the balloons. And my mother was very smart, but like when it came to just the 
you know, she's the type of person who would call my father <laughs> and he would pick up the phone and she'd say, where, now, where are you? Are you home? And he's like, yeah, you called home, like stuff like that. Like just, just like a little out there, you know, head in, head in the clouds. And she took this giant arrangement of balloons to this restaurant where they were having this retirement party for one of the teachers. And as she was walking into the restaurant late, of course, like kind of discombobulated, she didn't realize that the ceiling had like a stucco top, like a stucco, you know, plaster. And she's like running back there and they're all like, where are you? It's about to start. And all of the balloons start popping like one by one, every single one of them. So those are the type of things that just would have me crying as like a, you know, a middle schooler. Your Faves Faves is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. The show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support from Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Your Faves Faves is a 3% chance production. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 